Hello and welcome back to Classical Christian Virtues. I'm your host, Dr. Timothy Dernlin, as we journey together toward the good life by cultivating virtue and resisting vice one week at a time. The companion book to this podcast is also entitled Classical Christian Virtues. You can pick that up at Amazon.com or you can get more information at TimDernlin.com. If you head over there, please do leave me a message. I like reading those each week. Finally, Subscribe to this podcast, give it a five-star rating, pass it on to a friend, and we'll build this classical Christian virtues community together. Love you all. Let's get started. We have a special guest today. I'm really excited um, that we can have a guest here with us. Our guest is Nicole Byram. Nicole Byram has been in uh, the mental health field as an active practitioner for 14 years, specifically focused on marriage and family therapy. And as she works in the mental health field, she has a lot of amazing opportunities to to work with folks in, uh, in all different fields from all different backgrounds. Oh, hey, Tim. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited to be like the first guest on your show. So I've worked in community mental health for the last going on 14 years um, at our community mental health agency in my hometown. And just kind of we have the gamut of every kind of situation that you can imagine mental health, you know, anxiety, depression, mood disorders, people just going through different patches of life that are really difficult, whether it be divorce or loss. And then we also serve um, our drug and alcohol clients as well, those in recovery. So that's a huge part of what I do actually at the agency and what our agency does um, in our community. So yeah, with um, our agency, like I said, we do serve a lot of um, different needs um, of issues, but also it is the gamut of um, ages too. I've had kids, you know, as young as four or five. I've had teenagers on my caseload. I've also had you know, I mean, anywhere up to 75, you know, year old people as well. Um, probably primarily, I work mainly with women. Okay. Um, and that's been a large part of like my role at the agency. I've ran our women's recovery group for pretty much since I started there. And I also work with um, the YWCA here in town. We have a really cool thing going with them where I actually go there once a week and I run a group there for those women. Obviously the women who are there um, are there because of um, domestic violence um, or they've, for whatever reason, they're just not able to live in their own home right now. Um, So I work with those women as well, individually as well as in a group setting. So yeah, definitely working with that population of women, um, those in recovery and those who have been in really hard relationships. Okay, wow. So as we think about the virtue of compassion uh, tonight, um, there's probably a lot of opportunities for you personally to practice and cultivate that virtue and, uh, and, and also for your clients and uh, those that you work with to either need compassion or practice the virtue of compassion in their own life. So just as a setup real quick, um, we're talking about uh, the classical Christian virtues, and it is based on uh, the book Classical Christian Virtues. You can uh, pick that up as Amazon.com, and it's influenced by the work of Aristotle, who was uh, obviously a great philosopher, ancient philosopher. He had this idea of the golden mean and that the sweet spot is uh, a virtue falls between two vices. And if there's an overemphasis of the virtue, a virtue in excess, so too much compassion 
could lead to permissiveness. You can think about that maybe with a, a parent when they're too compassionate, they begin to be permissive um, with folks. And and um, uh, Nicole, I'm sure you see that with um, or are tempted toward that even in your own work. And then the deficiency would be on um, the other side of the road, the other side of the ditch that you could fall into. And that would be a lack of compassion and cruelty. So there's cruelty on one side, there's the virtue of compassion, and then there's permissiveness on the other side. So um, uh, Nicole, do you see the need for uh, this virtue or to avoid the vices at all in your work? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Gosh. So when you were talking about the virtue or the vice of permissiveness, absolutely, because compassion needs to be balanced with justice. And so that is a very hard line sometimes to, to, you know, to kind of walk, especially um, I think about my work. And like I said, I work with um, people in recovery a lot of times that involves, they're involved with the court system. And so with um, like in that situation, you know, being involved with the court and obviously like drug and alcohol use is legal, um, has ramifications and issues with that. And so it's a fine line sometimes in treatment between having compassion and being, you know, like working with people and being understanding that like relapse does happen, but there's also like, it, but you can't be too permissive with that. Right. And just say, Oh, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. And never have any hard consequence to it. So yeah, definitely. That's kind of what I thought of when I was reading through your book or reading through this chapter with the permissiveness. I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. Or like you brought up with parenting, like, yeah, if you just, like kind of just say, oh, it's okay, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine, then there's no discipline there, and that's not healthy either. I, lo- I love how you uh, partnered uh, compassion with justice, and all of these virtues seeking to find balance in one is hard enough, but then finding balance between all the virtues gets really difficult. So in, in, uh, in balancing compassion with uh, justice, and then possibly the other ditch, of cruelty is, uh, is an issue as well. So I'm sure you run into that with, um, with folks that you work with. Yeah. Yeah. And I think especially with, um, with people in recovery, addiction is a, there's a lot of misconceptions about what that is and what that involves and the type of people that fall into that. And so, yeah, that really, that I see that a lot sometimes even in social media or just to hear the way people talk about, people who have struggled with addiction and where, yeah, there is no compassion and it's very, comes out very cruel. And I I get pretty upset about that. (laughs) I'm sure. I'm sure. Well, uh, so thinking about it then as a parent, um, do you ever, uh, you ever struggle with any of these areas or, or uh, so for me, for me, I've noticed, I've been trying to think through this. I, I think one of my triggers is when I just, I like to work. I like to, I like to be busy. And sometimes that causes me to uh, lean toward a lack of sleep. And when I get tired, I find that I, I do either become more permissive and say, just play video games. I don't care. Just do that all day long or, or tend to snap and be, be a little sharper. So for me as a parent, I know that, that I struggle with that. And um, I don't know, you ever run into any of this in in your own life as you're you're thinking through trying to cultivate virtue? Yeah, and I think passion or compassion is very intertwined with grace as well. Like it kind of is like the melting, like I was thinking of compassion as like the melting pot of like empathy and grace kind of like combined. 
um, that I'm moves that you. Down. I'm writing that one down. <laughs> that moves somebody to an action um, because that's what compassion is. It's not, it is beyond sympathy, you know, because it moves you to take an action of some sort. Um, but yeah, and it's definitely, yeah, giving grace and especially like, yeah, finding that balance, especially in parenting between truth and grace too, you know, mm -hmm. um, yeah, that, that blend can be really challenging, but. Yeah. So you said, you said the, uh, the melting pot between <laughs> yeah. empathy and grace and it, like. Yeah, it's kind of like, that's what compassion is. That's kind of how I think of it. That's beautiful. I like that. That's really beautiful. And and you you hit the uh, the definition in the book. I don't know if it was on your mind or you just came up with it, but it, with action, um, mm -hmm. all of these things they can't just remain in our head, right? That we have to actually right. believe them, and then let them come out of our fingertips. So, uh, talking about the definition here, sympathetic awareness of the distress of others with the desire to alleviate the pain and discomfort that is caused. So not just understanding, but actually having that desire to help. So, um, right. so good. Yeah. So, so many times we can be so self-centered. I'm going to talk for myself. I can be so self-centered and, um, I try and trace that back. And obviously it always ends up in the, in the garden of Eden with, uh, with Adam and Eve <laughs> and, yeah. uh, just repeating their sin of, of self self-centeredness and, wanting, wanting more, wanting more, just focused on what I want. And, uh, and that usually throws me off balance when it comes to some of these things. So I like, I like your thoughts. What else do you have? Thanks. I don't know. Uh, well, just, yeah, with it being like a call to action, that's when Jesus was moved with compassion in the new Testament, like it was usually in circumstances where like he recognized a need in somebody, you know, whether they needed like, um, food cause they were hungry or because they were in pain or suffering in some physical way. And it always results with like him healing or providing or like in some action um, within that. So that's kind of, I don't know how I think of it too. And, and, um, and I was reading through Luke this past week and, and um, just being reminded that it not only moved him to action, but a lot of times uh, the, um, the moralistic people, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders, they wanted to question him and say, why, why are you helping those people? Don't, shouldn't, shouldn't we just tell them to be good, uh, strong Americans and pull them up, pull themselves up by their bootstraps? Mm -hmm. Like what, um, do, do you ever, you ever, you ever run into that mindset, uh, with, uh, with any folks that you work with or, or when, I don't know, when, when you share your work with people? Yeah, definitely. And I think it's, I don't know, I was trying to put my mindset, I don't know if this answers your question, or when people are telling me their stories, because sometimes it's hard to have, it's easy to have compassion for people when you see a physical need. If you see a hungry child, or you see somebody who, you know, they were just in a terrible accident, or, you know, something like that. I think it's harder to have compassion when you, when you see people in a, a hard spot because of their choices. Oh. You know, and yeah. so I think that's where um, where I see it with a lot of people kind of erring on that cruelty side um, because they see poor choices and they like you were kind of saying, oh, well, that's what they get, you know, um, when really like there's there's usually a lot more that makes up that person than just or that a lot that led up to that choice. But um, I don't know that one that always kind of sticks with me. And and uh, that 
to me, that links back to pride. If we're going to look at someone and say, ah, that's their choices, we're basically saying, I wouldn't have made those silly choices. I wouldn't have let myself fall into that. And then it's it's that vice of pride. So the ancients had uh, this way of depicting um, tree uh, trees of virtue and trees of vice. And, uh, and, and pride was typically the root um, vice of the other vices and uh, humility um, was the, uh, the, the, the virtue that gave birth to others. I, I interpret it more as saying love is that virtue that gives, gives, um, gives birth to all other virtues. But it, it shows so much in ourselves when we have or don't have compassion um, for others. It's, I just continue as I've thought through this pointing the finger at myself and thinking, oh, wow, I keep falling so short. I need a savior. I'm so glad for Christ. And uh, I'm becoming more and more and more grateful for his, his saving work uh, in my life. Um, but uh, typically when I'm, when I'm realizing um, my own root pride, I, I, I uh, tend to be more compassionate when I, when I realize just that I'm not perfect, then I, I have a lot better ability to be compassionate. Are there any times in your life or situations where you find that you struggle with being permissive or cruel? Yeah, it's easy sometimes to make snap judgments about people and their lifestyles. I think, I mean, even doing what I do, like that's something that is, you know, I have to like kind of check myself on that too. Um, I think, I don't know if this, goes into anything that we're talking about or touching on or like kind of cultivating compassion. But I think when you can connect it to somebody that, you know, personally, like, um, Mm -hmm. I don't know if that makes sense, but like kind of where I'm going with that is when I think if I make a snap judgment on somebody or it's just like based off their looks or their appearance or how their kids are behaving at the store or something, I kind of think like maybe a little bit about my clients or like the people that I know, like, Oh, okay. They're in kind of a position like this person. And when I make it personal about like somebody that I really know, then it almost makes me have more compassion for like the stranger, if that makes sense. Sure. Um, Yeah. So, but yeah, definitely. I think we all are very capable of falling into either of those vices. And I think you bring up a really great point about pride, you know, definitely comes into play, especially on the cruelty side of it. Um, maybe on the permissive side, sometimes, I don't know, that might fall also into the vice of laziness. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, uh, sure. Yeah, know, talk about that. Parents, especially with parenting. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, go, go, go forward with that because I'm, I'm with you on that. Because it takes effort. It takes so much effort to correct and to discipline. Um, yeah, to give that work. You know, it's the easier thing to say, oh, it's okay. You're fine. (laughs) You know, it's no big deal. Yeah, it takes effort to have those hard conversations, you know, or to address what needs addressed, give whatever, you know, discipline needs to happen. Like, that's effort. That's energy. Sure. That's good. That's good. We'll have to, we'll have to dig more into that. I, but I want to switch gears and talk a little bit about this, uh, this great book I have right here. So, uh, um, Nicole Byram just wrote this book uh, called remade. It dropped last month on amazon.com. You can go on to Amazon, just, uh, type in remade living free, or you can type her, her name, Nicole Byram. And, um, she also has a great podcast called five minute word that you can find on all the podcast platforms, five minute word. So 
uh, this book here. My wife has it marked on chapter two already. We got it a couple days ago. So she's been reading it. I just picked it up off our night sit and um, is there, is there anything actually, I'm not going to force compassion anymore. We've dug into that enough. Tell me a little bit about this project. Uh, and um, if you want to link it to virtue, great. If you just want to tell us about this and, and how it could be helpful or things you want to think about, I'd love to talk to you about that. Okay. Yeah. So um, I never in my life thought I would write a book. I just kind of something that was a really cool God thing that kind of like, I don't know, just came into my mind. Like you just put it on my heart to write it. Um, but basically I wrote it kind of like I was talking about the population that I've worked with for so long. Like that's kind of who I had in mind. Like I wanted to write a book that was kind of like the culmination of everything ever that I wish I could like speak to my clients, especially my female, like women clients in addiction or in recovery from addiction or unhealthy abusive relationships. And it's um, very like biblical, um, very theological kind of in nature, but also hopefully very like relatable and easy to understand at the same time. But yeah, let, just, me, let me, let me pause you right there. So when, when, uh, when Mrs. Byram here is talking about being uh, very theological in nature, the resource page on the back here, I noticed uh, <laughs> the, um, the, uh, some of the thing, some of the resources she recommended that that uh, she's enjoyed and have influenced her lately are "The Holiness of God" by R.C. Sproul, "Desiring God" by John Piper, uh, Spurgeon, Lewis, Calvin, Tozer, um, some music, Jeremy Camp, Third Day, uh, just lots of lots of great influence. Last, uh, I got to see uh, Nicole a few months ago, and she was finishing up uh, "City of God" by Saint Augustine, and and so. When she's saying it has some theological depth to it and meat behind it, she, that's that's what she's talking about. Yeah, but basically, um, so I, I kind of like the content, the chapters, I kind of use basically like um, what I've seen as kind of be the core issues that women have had to address. And really, I say women, it's honestly, I mean, it, men could benefit from it too as well. I think honestly, even if you're not in recovery, anybody who wants to just kind of grow more in your faith or, you know, anything like that can benefit from it. But so I have chapters on perseverance, God is our father, guilt and shame, friendship, um, God is our healer, purpose, all of these things, you know, um, that's kind of where I went with it. So it's, it's a little bit different of an angle than maybe some other books or curriculum might be when it comes to recovery. It's more focused on those issues and those big struggles that I've seen people deal with. And, and so, um, so I like that you said that I don't have to be female to read this. I don't have to be, uh, in recovery from drugs or a severely abusive relationship. In some ways, it seems that every one of us, every human is in some stage of recovery. Um, not, not to go too deep uh, or take this beyond what you're saying, but, um, when we're, when we're no longer in the garden and we haven't yet reached, um, the new heaven and new earth, we're, we're in recovery from this fallen state. And there, there's been people who've let us down. There's been people who have subtly abused or, um, manipulated or, or put us down or I just, I, I don't know, different ways different things we've all gone through or just not gotten a job we wanted or, or, um, or anything, right. That can, that can affect us. So 
would you, what, what chapter or what certain points would stand out to someone like that? Who's thinking, ah, I've, I've never taken a drug in my life. Why should I read that? Yeah, well, I'll answer that. But first I wanted to say, I think, um, I, it's, it's interesting how God uses people definitely in the field of, um, recovery and addiction services. He absolutely uses people who have been there, done that and are in recovery themselves. I'm, that is not me. That has not been my journey. That's not been my story. And so in some ways, I think it's, kind of funny or ironic in some ways that like that's the population that I have such a big um, heart for and that I really love working with and like that has not been anything that I have struggled with personally in my life so it's kind of cool that God um, has kind of I don't know like I've learned a lot I've learned so much from talking to so many people over all those years and I can honestly say like there's nothing that we would talk about in any of our groups even that like doesn't apply to me Like, I can't, you know, tell them like, oh, yeah, you got to be honest. And oh, yeah, you got to, you know, have accountability in your life if I don't have that, you know, so I think on on that step or kind of thinking like that, it's like, yeah, this book would be for anybody because we can all benefit from it. Um, I don't know. I think there's, I'm trying to think like about one chapter, maybe. um, What was the biggest surprise to you when you wrote it? You said it just kind of started coming to you and, and started flowing, flowing it, from you. It did. So I had kind of been wrestling for a little while. Um, at one point about just kind of some job related things and what I should be doing. And, um, I kind of had the idea to start writing. I didn't know what that was going to be. And then this might sound crazy, but I like March 10th of 2019, I was in church and it just like, I don't even know. Like it just came to me. Like I knew what it was I was supposed to write. And I came home from church and I wrote down like the nine chapters. I didn't have a title for the book, but I like wrote down nine chapters and that is like, I didn't deviate from that. That's like what the chapters are. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know. I love them all. Um, really. I don't know. It's kind of like your kids. They're all so different, but you love them all. (laughs) That's how I feel about them. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Very I good. think there's value for, for anybody in any of the chapters. You could get something out of it. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, is there any way, Nicole, that uh, folks who typically tune in here to this channel uh, are looking to, to cultivate virtue and think about virtue? Any, uh, any virtues that come to mind uh, in, in Remade, the book that you wrote? Ooh, um, let me think about that, how to frame it in terms of virtue. I don't know. I wrote this book as very much like to give hope. I don't know, just to lean into, like, I think maybe when you hit on pride, like that, it's not, it's just kind of like totally turning to Jesus and like giving your life to God. That's kind of like what it is. And like, that's in every, every chapter that it's like, we cannot save ourselves. We can't repair ourselves. Like that is, um, that is only from him. Um, and my, the third chapter, the one on guilt and shame, um, I had a sentence or a sentence or two in there that, you know, um, there's a lot of value in terms of other strategies for dealing with guilt, you know, like giving yourself a positive affirmation or, you know, things like that. And there's value in that, but I, I kind of like how I wrote it. I said in the book at one point, I said, but still we know, <laughs> like, <laughs> that doesn't take away our guilt. That doesn't take away our shame, you Mm. know? So not that there isn't value in those things, but ultimately that's not what it is. Like we cannot like within like healing, total healing does not happen 
without Christ. That's great. That's great. Well, that seems like a, a good spot to end on. I, it's neat that you, uh, you tied it to hope, hope, uh, I've been wrestling through again, the virtue trees and diagramming my own and looking at some of the ancients and how they diagrammed them. And, and hope, hope is one of the key foundational first virtues. Um, that's, that's an anchor virtue for lots of other virtues to spring from. So this book, uh, this book will give hope. And, um, any last thing you want to leave us with? So you can find um, the blog that I write and um, the podcast as well on my website, NicoleByram.com. NicoleByram.com. We'll put that in the show notes. We'll also put a link to the uh, the Amazon um, page where they can get your book. And Nicole, thanks so much for coming on. It was a real pleasure. And I did take some notes. I like uh, I like that melting pot of empathy and and uh, and and the book. I'm, I, it's neat to to hear that that hope given hope to. Um, individuals in recovery and and that the ultimate hope is our lord and savior jesus christ so so uh god bless you my friend have a great day thank you